are now listening to Bigfoot and Beyond, featuring the Lennon and McCartney of Bigfoot, though they're arguably Harrison and Star, Cliff and Bobo. Bobo, how you doing today? Not too shabby. Not too shabby. Are you looking good? Always. Do you have on your Bigfoot and Beyond t-shirt? Uh, it's in the wash, actually. Nice. So you're going topless, in other words. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's why you look so good. Awesome. I got pasties on. Pasties. Nice. Bigfoot and Beyond pasties, I hope. Or we probably haven't marketed those yet. Those are kind of, these are, these are prototypes. Nice prototypes. Yeah. You don't want to get ahead of the science, you know? Right. <laughs> well, fantastic. Well, um, Bobo, we have a really fun episode for you today. I lined up a couple guests that have been reaching out to me lately. Um, it is probably, in, in my opinion, I, I mean, I'm, maybe I'm wrong, but this might be the most important thing that's happened in Bigfoot in 2020 so far. Because um, you may have noticed, Bobo, 2020 is kind of a dumpster fire. Everything sucks this year. It's the worst year ever. Yeah, but there's been a couple bright spots throughout the year, and one of which is uh, is because of these two gentlemen that we have on the show today. Um, you may have picked up, I think it was in June or something like that. We'll, we'll talk to the guys. We'll get the exact date and all that jazz. But back of uh, just a couple months ago, the BFRO on an expedition managed to get footage of a Sasquatch in the Sierra Nevada mountains of California. I think they're calling it the Sierra Gate footage because they don't want to give away the location. And that's for very understandable reasons. But um, apparently more than one person filmed the Sasquatch or the Sasquatches. And uh, we have two of those people on our show tonight, Bobo. So I'd like you to welcome Mike Poole and Robert Collier. So Mike and Robert, thanks so much for coming on Bigfoot and Beyond. Oh, yeah, my pleasure. Can't wait. Can't wait to get started. Yeah, my, my pleasure. Thanks for having us. Okay, so uh, one of you, go ahead and volunteer and kind of give us the background um, of perhaps, and not, not exactly where you are because we want to keep that location secret, but you know, give us a little bit of background about approximately where you were and kind of what led up to the events that we want to focus on tonight. I'm one of the uh, organizers and leaders of the uh, California Expedition uh, for the BFRO, and uh, this year we had our expedition uh, June 25th, I believe through the 28th, and it was an area in uh, ah, Northeast California, just probably what you would say North of Yosemite and uh, in that area. And uh, it was, I must say, it was epic. It was epic. It was there on the, yeah, obviously on the Western side of the Sierra Nevadas, uh, a place that we've gone before. And throughout the years, we've, we've done a lot of hard work there and it, it finally paid off for us. Now, you said you've been kind of uh, preparing the area for a while, like you've been doing the groundwork. Um, what sort of things have you been doing in this area that led up to this event? Okay, so this area I've been going back since uh, 2013 and uh, just attending other expeditions and uh, taking my guys like Mike and a, a few other people. Um, we've been going up there throughout the years and, and just really doing our investigative work, our research, um, you know, getting a lot of field time in. And what was more important, and I think Mike will agree, is the more you're in an area, and I'm sure you guys agree, the more you get to know it, you, you get to under you get to understand it more. And um, you know, and, and, and what what you're dealing with there, and that's that's the way I, I, Mike and I and and our other cohort that comes with us, Randy Edwards, uh, we approach it that way, and um, and that's what we've been doing there. So a lot a lot of time in the field uh, looking at sign. Um, just learning more about what we're dealing with there. And uh, because this area, you know, from, you know, as you know, Cliff, it has a lot of evidence, a lot of sign down there. Oh, yeah, yeah. This place has been pumping out um, evidence for a long time. In fact, I recorded vocalizations there, um, I think back in 2006 or 2008. I'd have to double check my notes, of course. But yeah, this area has been active for a long time. You know, it's, it's hit what, what we noticed, and Mike and I have talked about this, you know, sometimes we'll go there and we'll get vocalizations out of the southeast uh, early morning or at night. And especially when you do calls and you get answered back. But sometimes you go up there and it's just it's just darn quiet. But we get a lot of wood knocking uh, from this area. But we also on, on top of that, what I love about this area, we get a lot of camp visitations. And, 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 and uh, Mike and myself and, and Randy and a few other people really experienced that there. 
Do you think that um, part of uh, your groundwork is just getting the Bigfoots used to you on any level, or is it all about you becoming familiar with the area? Um, I haven't ne- been up there nearly as long as Robert. I think my first trip up there was in 16. But uh, what I've noticed is I like to go out during the day and by myself and, uh, and just kind of explore. And I've had uh, occasion where I went back up there and uh, got a rock thrown at me in the middle of the day. And, and I'm kind of thinking, if you're out poking around during the day, um, they're following us back. They're, they're wondering what you're doing. And that, that's at least that's kind of the opinion I have because they are coming into camp. Um, another time, Robert and I went to a place we call the nursery where we found some very small, I would say it would be a human child on the side of a granite outcropping about uh, four miles from the nearest road in bare feet. Um, and with uh, another very large footprint next to it. And uh, we were up there and then we came back and we got, we got a little action that night. Didn't we, Robert? After that. Yeah. Like how, how Mike says, you know, those experiences and what we've, we found I, on the other side, when you, you asked about doing the groundwork or going back there, they recognize us. I've talked to Mike about this and I do believe certain groups will stay or live in certain areas and I also do believe during the winter, they maybe drop down to lower elevation, of course, because they're primates, right? Um, from what I believe, and uh, if they have young ones. But I do believe, the uh, since we've been working in this area all these years, I do believe they, they recognize you, your voice, your vehicle you're driving, especially when you're going in there and you're not showing them as a threat. Um, as of right now, like right now, hunting season's on. And, you know, this is a place that hunters do go down there and make camp and hunt that area. But they know us as not threatening. And I have um, experimented with that because I always usually bring the same vehicle back. Um, so does Mike and, and, and Randy and, and a few other people. But I, I do believe they recognize that. I believe that intelligence is there. And I think that's what, one of the reasons, one, of why we've been so lucky in getting what we've, the evidence that we have obtained um, and, um, in the footage and everything else. Yeah, I would, I would tend to agree with something like that too. I mean, to put it in uh, Dennis Foles' words, um, you have to become a predictable feature in their environment. And that's the best advice anybody can say about Sasquatching in general. And, um, and another thing, uh, you know, um, Matt Moneymaker, you know, uh, people say what they do about him, but man, he is really good. I think Bobo would back me up on this. He's one of the best th- there ever has been at finding Bigfoot things, you know, like Bigfoots in general. One of the ways he does that is that he puts himself in the place of the Sasquatch. He tries to get inside their brain, in other words, you know, um, and put yourself in, in the Bigfoot spot or yeah, heck, even put it in your own brain for a minute. If some guy in a big orange lifted truck drove up in front of your house last July, lit off a bunch of fireworks and was just a general jerk you would probably remember them the next July. You know, if a, that same orange truck rolled up, you would go, oh, that's that, that's that jerk, right? Yeah, so if you're going there and you're not causing trouble, certainly, uh, well, if you are causing trouble, they will remember you. But if you're not causing trouble, that won't put up any alarms for them. And I think that's the thing that we need to keep in mind when we're out there in the woods is uh, do no harm and help them remember you next time that you did no harm. Well, you know, from what Mike brought up about the nursery area, we got we went into an area where he, he where we found a plethora of evidence, and that they're there in our opinion. And it's kind of funny, Mike. Mike would agree with this. And we, I remember him and I talking about. We almost felt like we were trespassing. Now I haven't had that feeling in any other area there except for this area. We didn't stay long because uh, getting back to what you're saying, I always like they're, they're always in control. Always, always. They're always in control. It's their environment. It's their home. We respect that. So we give them that latitude. We give them that distance. We want them to trust us when coming back each year. I think that has really worked out, especially this year. Yeah. As a matter of fact, we've never gone back up to that area again, and I don't think we will. Uh, that nursery area. Let them be up there, right? We don't have any trouble with them coming down to see us. At least this year, it didn't seem to be any trouble. We've had a lot of other years having trouble, but this year they came down to see us. So that's fine. Um, going back to wearing the same, uh, you know, keeping the same look every time I, I do the same thing. I wear the, I wear the same hat, the same, uh, they may not be the exact same one, but the same black coveralls. When I go at night, I wear a boonie and black coveralls in the same backpack. I try to look the same every time I go out. 
Well, okay. So this particular trip, uh, how did it start out? I mean, were you aware Sasquatches were in the neighborhood right away or did it take a few days or what led up to this event? Well, with COVID and everything going on, you know, we didn't, we weren't sure we we're going to have the expedition due to closures, you know, the gates and, and areas being closed. And, but we were lucky enough to, um, it opened up for us after making a plethora of phone calls, getting some intel up there. I have family that lives up there and they helped me out, it, you know, checking on, um, road. And Mike has got one up there, uh, and, uh, he was able to do some scouting when there was still snow, but we were fortunate to have it. So, the we we're I think we we're the first group in there this year, any kind of large group, and I think that paid off for us too um, because it did open up late. Uh, and um, getting in there, I think that that was a huge plus to us. And on one spectrum, I think it it really shook them up because right off the bat, on the first night of the expedition, we had some new people with us, and those new people actually went down um, to an area with Mike. And another gentleman named Dan Butler. And and then we had another group come in. Mike, was that 10, 15 minutes later? Yeah, that was actually, uh, yeah, that was about 15 minutes, 15 minutes later. 15 minutes. So that was led by uh, one of our other, uh, uh, one of the other assistants, Randy Edwards. And But Mike had a new person with him. And I'll let Mike pick that up because he's there standing with her and her husband. And Mike picked that up from there, what, what how it all started off. Yeah, okay, so... So here's what we did. We, we walked down the main trail. We got down to a, like the bottom. And I says, I says, Randy, I'm going to head in. I'm going to go up about a couple hundred yards. I'm going to cut in off to the left and we're going to post up o- over this meadow. Yeah, we're using radios. But anyway, we're going to post up over this meadow. You wait about 15 minutes and then you come on. So we went in there and uh, we, we got our spot. We pulled off the trail. Oh, we probably got about mm, 25 yards off the trail. And we posted up out overlooking a, a meadow and uh, we're posted up there. Randy comes ahead. And uh, as he's coming, I can see him coming. It was dark. He had uh, the guy in the very front had a red light on. And I tell the lady that's with us, the new person, I says, uh, here comes the other group. Why don't you look through the therm and check, see what they look like. Right. So she pulls up the therm and she's looking and looking. And then I see the last guy go by the group's passed. And she's not looking at the group. She's looking behind the group straight out at the trail. And she says, huge, 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 huge. Anyway, she saw one. She didn't know how to uh, hit record because she was borrowing uh, Dan Butler's therm. But uh, we did a, we did a reenactment uh, the next day, right, Robert? And uh, what did what did we what did we figure? About eight foot, eight foot six. Yeah, eight eight foot, and they approximately about it was thirty yards behind uh, Randy's group, walking behind him. The very the very last guy in the group, it was thirty yards behind him, following him right on the trail. And the guy, this person, is someone we've known for a while, one of our one of our kind of close group. And he said he thought something was following him. He was hearing something behind him but he couldn't see anything. And so he, he knew it was there and it was, and, and, and we actually busted it. We spotted it. And I think the way we were able to do that was uh, by splitting up. You know, we, we walked off down the trail, pulled off quietly, didn't make a lot of noise, you know, hit dark, pulled off. And then the second group with lights on walked by. And I don't think it knew we were there until it was biased. I think we, I think it was a straight up bust. I think it was really cool that we got them. Oh, that's really interesting because uh, one of the um, Bigfooters I respect the most, um, gentleman named Matt Pruitt, he's been putting forth this hypothesis uh, about how they have a harder time keeping track of two different groups as opposed to just one. So he was suggesting that if you think you have one in the neighborhood, definitely split up because they seem to pay attention to one group of people um, more than that, th- th- they just seem to lose track of more than one at a time. In other words, and that would be some sort of a adaptation for ambush hunting or something like that. It just makes sense for their lifestyle. So this is kind of a, some proof positive, you know, some um, evidence to support that hypothesis in some sort of way. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, and and uh, we we were able to do that successfully twice on this trip. We did it uh, the day after that as well, and busted another one. Um, the same method, different, different location, the same method. So I agree with what Matt's hypothesis. I, I think it's the truth there's just too many of us and only one or two of them and they can't keep track of us at the same time. So we use that tactic a lot. Um, I call it the slinky or the inchworm, whatever you want to call it. If I'm with a group, I'll break up just to break them up and then walk up a, a ways and then call the other two or three people to walk on up. 
So if there's one on the high side and he's tracking us, or he or she's tracking us, you know, I, I, I want them going, wait a minute, I got two people up here, I got three, you know what I mean, type thing. On our expeditions, Mike and, and Randy and I, we, we talked about that. And so we'll have a group that goes in first and the other group will come in leisurely, come on by and walk down the trail. And well, before each, each night we go out, we'll plan out, hey, where we're going to set up and, you know, we're going to be in, in area one, area two. We give it names or numbers or we, we do an alphabet type thing, you know, you know, spot A, spot B. And we do that a lot. So they'll get kind of going, wait a minute, I got one over here, a group here. I got no, you know, so we, we try to do that. And like Mike said, it, it's worked out for us a lot. Very interesting. That, and uh, I, I really love the fact that it supports a, an already existing hypothesis because whether we know it or not, we're all doing our best to be amateur scientists. You know, we have these ideas like it's a nursery. They do this. They do that. Well, instead of loudly proclaiming it, we should be trying to gather data to support our hypotheses, you know, and I think that's exactly what you guys are doing, whether you intended it or not. I think it's fantastic. You know, every time, and Mike will tell you, every time we're out on a trail um, every night and, you know, we always have the, what we call, you know, the next night, the, the briefing, but I always try to debrief with Mike and, and Randy at the time and, hey, so what what worked that night or what didn't work, what will work better? And it seems that we, we're sticking with what we're talking about here, you know, the group one going in and, and the second one coming in after that. It seems like it's, it works, and what you're talking about, that hypothesis, it, you're right. Uh, we're all amateur scientists here, uh, in, a, in a manner of speaking, and we're trying to find why we're doing this. You're trying to find out, hey, does this really work? Is it Does this, am I, it, I'm applying this to this situation? And you're right. I mean, it's working for, it's worked probably for you guys. It's worked for us tremendously. So I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. And, and uh, so we don't try to change it up too much. We make variances in, in, in that, but you're right. I, I think that's one of the best tactics. Re, uh, people that are going to go out and do this or research or, or investigate, uh, especially in groups like that. Yeah, you know, we tried that a couple times on Finding Bigfoot, you know, and it's on television. So it's a very public spectacle about it, right? Um, and the two times I can think of um, in Ohio, for example, um, that night Bobo saw one. That night. We, he saw one because it followed us back to camp, and we almost got one on film. Moneymaker and I were on top of a hill. I think Bobo and Renee were down on a trail with a bunch of Little League players, you know. Um, or the other time was in Tennessee. Um, I was alone. Well, I was with Adam Foskey, our camera guy, but it was a camcorder, so it's just Adam and I, and everybody, and Bobo's on another hill, and Matt and Renee were trying to draw attention to them. And it seems that as, whenever you have attention being drawn at one place, the lone person or the away team, shall we say, has a higher chance of getting closer to the Sasquatch. And it's something like what you guys are doing there. That's all we try to do. And I think Mike would, would agree with that too. I mean, we keep it, you know, I, I like to kiss everything, keep it simple, stupid, you know what I mean? And not trying try and convolute it too much and approach it from that. But I, I think what works well for us is we work as a team. Um, and like, so we debrief on our own and then what we're going to do for the, the, the people that are going out with us. Cause we, we're trying to provide them with the best experience, but yet educate them to what to look for. And, um, I think that's very important to us. And like I said, what we're, what we're doing is, is, uh, working so far in it. And it's, it's, you know, I told Mike, uh, on this, on this expedite, I go, it's about time that something really paid off for us <laughs> after doing all this. <laughs> And then Mike tells me, he goes, yeah, he goes, every other expedition after this is going to be a letdown. <laughs> we laughed about that. Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. Let's continue then. So we have this lady who sees it's huge, it's huge, it's huge following her behind. What happens next? Okay, so um, we all said, yeah, yeah, you're looking at, uh, you're looking at Wayne. He's the last guy. So that's Wayne. No, 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 no. I'm not, it's not Wayne. And, and I go, are you sure? And, I, and then I look, I look to where she's looking and I see Wayne's headlight and it's, you know, 30, 30 yards up the trail. We realized that's what she had, right? Very exciting. Um, it was gone. And we spent some time and we, we called the other group and said, hey, we got one following you, you know, like we do on the radio. And they, they looked and, and basically the rest of the night, quiet. So by the time we started chattering, 
it, I'm sure it hurt us, right? It knew it was falling. It knew it was in between two groups and it went wherever they go when they disappear, but it went away. We didn't, we didn't have any sighting of it the rest of the night. And then uh, we had the next night, Robert, we went out. That was the first night. We went out the next night. We scouted around. Then the next morning we went out there and did a reenactment and tried to figure out where it was and look for tracks and, you know, no tracks. You know that area. It's, uh, you know, granite and a lot of pine needle duff. It's hard to leave a track in any of that stuff. So then we scouted around and, and did the reenactment. And then the next night we went out uh, to, in a different direction and uh, nothing. I don't, I don't think we had any action at all, did we, Robert? No, Friday night. Friday night was uh, very quiet. It, getting back to her real quick, it was epic for her. What Mike said about the last guy in that group, his name is Wayne. Great guy. He's, he's been squashing with us for. He's what Wayne's about. What five foot five, if that. And what when they did the reenactment, she saw big. She estimated at eight feet. And what what she keyed on Cliff was the side profile of it and how thick it was. And she said, what, well, I believe Jamie said it was, what, three and a half feet? Two, two and a half foot thick. I, I, I was the dummy. I was a stand-in, and I held my arms, you know, and it was about two and a half from the back of the shoulders to the chest. Yeah. She says it was real big. And so after they did that, we, we keep really keyed on that, hey, she really saw what she saw. Unfortunately, no picture on that one. She had it, but she didn't know. You know how it is in the middle of the night. It's pitch dark. You can't find the right button, especially on a piece of equipment you're not used to. So she didn't. I think in this case, considering you actually have video footage from a later time, all is forgiven. So we went out then the third night. That was Saturday. And we headed out and we decided to go back to the place we had gone on Thursday night where Jamie had seen the Squatch on the trail. So we decided to go down there and we did our, our normal thing. We uh, had three groups. Uh, we posted uh, one group way at the top by the gate. Uh, that was Randy. He had about four or five people. And then Robert went in first and it was early. We went down pretty early. It was just starting to get dark, right, Robert? Still a little light in the sky. A little, just a little, you know, like twilight. And uh, Robert went down and I waited about 15 minutes and I followed him down and as we worked in uh we were hearing some noises weren't we we heard uh, you guys heard robert you heard something down there right some movement right we, we started getting movement the typical you know the crunching a uh, little bit of the snapping in in the tree line yes yeah so i worked down with my group and uh we were snooping and pooping and, and looking around and and uh, we got down there and met robert and we were, we were standing down there and we were thinking, okay, let's, we're going to do the same thing that we did the first night. We'll send a group in, you know, and they'll pull off and, and we'll send another group for see if we can do the same thing. Well, right as about we're standing there and we're, we're kind of just all being quiet and looking around. Uh, there is a road up above this area. It's probably oh, three quarter mile away up a, up a pretty steep hill and there's a cattle crossing on it. And, you know, you can hear, and, and there was no wind. It was a beautiful, clear, beautiful night. And you can hear the car coming down the road, pickup truck coming down the road, and and it goes across this cattle crossing. You know, it makes a sound, clang, clang. So it goes across the cattle crossing, goes clang, clang. As soon as the clang, clang happened, we heard, <laughs> samurai chatter straight up. Robert heard it. I was looking at Robert. We both heard it. We actually, uh, Dan Butler has it on his GoPro recorded. We'll have to pull that up. Oh, that'd be a really fascinating uh, aspect to this whole story because I, I wasn't even aware there was a recording of such a thing going on. There's so yeah, there's so much stuff going on, Cliff. It was it's I wrote it all down, but I, if if I don't have the thing that I have written in front of me at all the time, I'll forget half of it. But but yeah, it was the samurai chatter that happened. What Robert? That was probably about ten o'clock at night, and uh, you and me just just about you know our eyes were about the size of the saucers. And it sounded, it sounded just like the Sierra recordings. I mean, it sounded like somebody turned the Sierra recordings on and played it. And for some reason, it happened immediately. It sounded to me like the cattle guard set it off. It might have not had anything to do with it, but the cattle guard made the sound, and then this happened right away. And it, but although the sound came from nowhere close to where the cattle guard, way closer to us than where the cattle guard was. It, was, it sounded to us like 100 yards away, right, Robert? Yeah, you, you you can tell the difference from when the cowboy when a, when a truck or something drives over it, you know, it's off in the distance because you get that. But this one, this the samurai chatter or this chatter was was closer. So that happens, right? We hear that samurai chatter, and it's it's coming from uh, up the trail, right about in the direction where Jamie had her sighting. 
And we heard that. And now me and Robert are looking at each other and saying, well, I don't, I don't think I want to go up that trail. <laughs> right, Robert? <laughs> so what we did is we uh, spread out along the bottom. And so basically we spread out with about eight people, uh, two to a group. I was on the farthest end toward where we heard the samurai chatter. And uh, we just kind of posted up and we're quiet. I was sitting there and probably about 10 minutes into it, I, uh, I heard a noise. I heard some noise off, oh, probably 60, 70 yards off, just out in the woods. And uh, I have a new guy with me, a guy named Dave, and he'd never been before. And uh, he was pretty good hand. He's a Navy SEAL. He, he, he knows his way around. I, actually, he's a good guy to have as a partner if you're scared. But <laughs> I wasn't. But, but if you were, he'd be good. Um, anyway, here's some noises. So I pull up my old TK scout and I start looking towards the noise and bam, straight up, there's a hot spot. And I'm looking at this hot spot and it steps out from a tree, steps back in, steps out, steps back in. This goes on for five minutes. And I, I tell Dave and then I get on the radio and I call Robert and, uh, Robert, I got something here and, and take it from here, Robert, cause you can explain what you saw and how you worked with Dan. Well, yeah. So Mike, gets my attention, you know, and he, and he calls me up and I start walking up to where they're, and they're facing in a South direction. They're looking in a more of a South direction. And I said, what do you got? He goes, Hey, I, I'm getting movement down here. And I've, I've seen this hotspot step out of the tree and, you know, step back behind it. So we start, we're all focusing on that. And now we're still kind of still spread out. And so we start, we start looking at it and, and Mike, I remember you. And then we had Dan behind us and Dan had a, um, a much better, um, uh, therm. Yeah. It, it didn't do movies, but it did snapshots. Yeah. Right. It, 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 it just, it stills. And so as you're, you guys are, and I'm trying to, I'm bringing up my therm and I'm trying to figure out what you guys are looking at and uh, I'm getting some hot spots, but I'm not getting the movement. And then Dan was standing behind me. And I don't know, we, we were looking for a, few minutes and i remember dan um dan come kind of moves up in front of me and now he's standing between you mike and ed sazinski that was to your left who's in that picture and dan i remember dan going hey i think i got him and that's the picture that moneymaker posted on twitter right yeah that's the one that's uh, it's like sepia colored it's you know yeah, yeah that's that picture yeah and dan got that and uh it was so cool well, we didn't know we had it until we reviewed it. Uh, I believe the next day, it, it was just—it was just so epic. But you know, in that picture, you can see an actual figure that's bipedal standing there to the left of the tree. Looking back, people go, you know, we read the comments online. Well, how do you know that that wasn't one of your group, or that wasn't a bear? That wasn't that the action that we had going on down there, and, and the totality of the situation. It was just the right time at the right place to get all that. And that's what occurred. Yeah. At the end of the day, Bigfooting is 90% luck and 10% persistence, I guess, you know? It's a lot about being in the field, doing the work, and it obviously will pay off for you. And this time it paid off. Yeah. It, it paid off tons for you guys. And, you know, uh, and I would always, I would just simply flick back the same crap they're flicking at you and say, well, let's compare it to the footage that you've obtained. Yeah, because I, I mean, I try to be careful about stuff, you know, when I when I'm, I just did a this this TV gig where I, you know, the shows where they show you a clip and then you're a talking head and commenting on it. And I said several times, like, yeah, it's not the end of the world. This isn't a great clip of whatever it is, but it's better than anything I got. So all these uh, haters and whatnot online, well, step out behind your uh, their online profile, show your face and let's have a discussion instead of you just flicking nonsense at people who are more successful than you are. Right. In case some of your your listeners are, are you know, are interested in what kind of therm that uh, what thermal camera that was used, uh, Dan Butler he has what he call it's called the Insight MTM V2 Mini Thermal, and that 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 was the model that would, that captured that uh, figure standard. So it wasn't the TK Scout, but some of you guys were. I'm the TK Scout guy. Well, I'm, I'm the ex-TK Scout guy. After, after what I saw on this story coming up, it's in the next hour of this story. <laughs> yeah, then I got rid of my TK Scout because if I had a TK, if I had the good therm at the time, it would have been the money shot. Those things are kind of a catch twenty-two. It's great that people have something, but they suck so bad that if you do get something, you just regret it. Yeah, that's how I felt. Bobo, that's exactly how I felt. I was like so stoked when, when I got this video. It's That's a Sierra Gate video. 
I was so stoked. And then I saw it. And, and to me, I'm like, that's awesome. Awesome. You know, and I looked at it. And then the next day I looked at it again. I go, that sucks. <laughs> Nobody's going to believe me. <laughs> you know? And yeah, it's just terrible. <laughs> anyway, that's not what it looked like in my brain, but that's what it looked well, like. Well, yeah. And you know what? This is basically all you, you just, I, I mean, I I'm not trying to downplay your achievement because again, it's better than anything I've ever achieved in the same manner, but you guys had a, a sighting plus, is what it comes down to. And then people are all over sightings. Like people listen to podcasts and sighting after sighting after sighting report with nothing to show, just fancy words, you know, and then you have something to show on top of it. And that in itself is a huge achievement. It's just as good. As, it's different, but it's just as good as getting a, ni a nice line of footprint tracks from the thing you saw or any number of things. And so congratulations to you. Hats off. I wish I was wearing a hat. I would take it off right now. Well, that one night we got two videos. So we got the one that Dan took that still shot. And so after that happened, I'm looking, I'm going to segue into this story again and keep us going. After that happened, <laughs> we, we hung out, you know, down there for what, another half an hour, Robert, and, and it got dead. Right. So we decided, well, let's head back up. And we did what Robert's plan is the inchworm. We had uh, four groups of two people and I was leading the front group. And I went up, me and another guy, uh, Dave, we went up, we'd walk, oh, 150, 200 yards, stop, give a click on the radio. You know, the next group would walk up and, and we'd uh, bump along and uh, working our way up. Meanwhile, if you'll remember, there was still another group up at the top of the trail. I uh, called Randy up and said, Randy, we're coming out. Okay, so as soon as you see me, you can go ahead, you go ahead and take off. Because he was, uh, he had a group of uh, some of the older people or some of the people that were, they were just over it, right? They'd had enough squatching. They were either spooked or they were tired and they wanted to get back to camp. Yeah, right. So I came up and we inchwormed along up, right? And uh, Robert, the last guys in our group, uh, we're hearing some noises behind us. You know, who knows, right? They're hearing stuff. So as I work my way up to the top, I see Randy. I'm looking through my therm. I see Randy. He sees me. He waves. He takes off and he starts heading up past the gate turns right, heads down towards camp. And I wait about 10 minutes after he passes the gate and I start, I head up, I head up to the gate. As I get to the gate, um, we're going all lights out. We had no red lights at all on. Everybody was going therm um, because we had action. And it was a no moon, but a lot of starlight. And we were in an, on an open road, you know, not a lot of tree cover, so you could see where you're going. But I was walking with my therm up to my eye and I look up at the gate and I look at the gate and in this clear area, to, uh, beyond the gate on the little slope, uh, I look and I go, there's a dude. Who's that? There's a dude. And there's a dude walking. I swear. And I look. And as, as I look at it, I got the therm. It's not on record. And it's walking from left to right, total side view, leaned over, head hit, leaned over, arms swinging, conical head. And I said, oh, crap, hit the record, right? By the time I hit the record, it had gone into the trees. And I kept the record on. And that's the Sierra gate footage. At the time I was recording, I didn't even know it was in there. I thought it was gone and I totally missed it. And I was all upset because what I saw was out in the clear. And it was it was beautiful. But as, as I saw it, and it walked down in the, and it disappeared, but I kept recording. So I, with my partner, I tell him, Dave, I tell him what I see and we go right up there and try to get in close. We're running right at it and we're looking around, you know, can't see a thing. And I got the therm still recording and I'm, I'm back in there looking around and, I, and now here comes Robert up the trail. So I turn around and walk back and said, Robert, I just saw one. I just saw one. I, but I missed him. I didn't record it. And I'm all upset as I'm telling Robert that uh, Dave had stayed in the middle of the road and he hollers out the uh, squatch had walked right past him from the left side of the road. And evidently, when I when I had stopped filming or when I walked up there, it just tucked in some bushes 15 yards from Dave. It walked across the road in front of him. Dave has no, at this point, Dave has no therm, but he saw it because it's, you know, light enough with the starlight. 15 yards in front of him, walked across the road and down, down a little creek draw. And he stared at it and watched it go. We end up going up there. He hollers, oh my God. And then we all run up there like Keystone cops, you know, and turned, went white light after we, you know, tried to find it, went white light. And we find a track, a beautiful track right on the side of the road. It was in gravel. So it didn't have, you know, the, uh, uh, definition like dermal ridges, but it was a straight up footprint. And, uh, so we're up there messing around. And meanwhile, way down at the gate, which is probably what, 70 yards, 50, 70 yards from where we're standing, looking at this footprint is Dan Butler. 
and he was at the back and he's looking down the trail and boom, it comes up and goes right by Dan. So it had made a circle around the group. And at that point I had seen it, Dave had seen it and Dan Butler had seen it. Yeah. And we got tracks too. I mean, we got casts too. So Robert, you can go into that. But. Yeah. The, so the prelude to that is as it crosses in front of Dave, uh, Dave had a therm that the battery went dead and he gets excited. It steps off and it went down. So we know this wasn't a person, right? Because why would people just walk off a perfectly good road? So it steps down into the Creek disappears. We're up there. Dan that evening had brought his truck up there and drove me and a few other people. Um, I had not been feeling well that earlier in that day I was feeling weak. So that's why, but I started thinking, we parked trucks and vehicles up there before, and it's paid off. Uh, there was a previous uh, year that uh, that uh, we had a guy up there and parked up there, and something happened. But anyway, I was watching these guys look at the footprint on the side of the road. I look back, and I see Dan taking his red, you know, his red uh, headlight, and he's looking down the side of his truck. And I look, and I go, oh, Dan must be looking for, for fingerprints you know, while we're down in the trail. You know, he's, he's being a good, you know, investigator. And Dan is retired law enforcement, too, so he knows he knows what to do. He's been, to, you know, been to this rodeo before, and he's looking. So I come walking back up to Dan a few minutes later, and Dan, he's standing there with this bewildered look on his face, and he's all, you know what just happened? He says, well, you guys were down there. I'm looking at footprint, uh, fingerprints on my truck, looking for fingerprints. He says, I see this. A uh, large person walk up behind the gate where my truck is, and he sees I see one red glowing light, and he says he thought it was somebody from the group. And Dan, then it dawned on Dan that everybody from our groups are up here at the gate. There's nobody coming up the trail. He says they stood there and stared at each other. It was one one red glowing what we think now is an eyeball glowing eye and it said they had a staring contest dance it for a bit and he says it stepped up up to would be his right it's left and went up the side of the mountain or the hill and dan had his red uh, red light on right so it, it could have been eye reflection you know, from his thing on it but it was one so that all happened that night we head back to camp we went out the next morning and you know went to you know check it out in the daylight and and we were able to cast uh, the track that uh, we saw what we found that night right right at the edge of the road we found another one below that that was actually going the opposite direction so it must have not been made at the same we think it wasn't made at the same time i think it was made earlier so it says it's a good crossing place and then way up at the top of the hill where i had first seen it before i hit record we found uh, several tracks and a track way, and one of them we cast because it just happened. I don't know. You guys know how that granite is. It's it's pretty hard to get anything other than a scuff mark. But the toes, three of the three of the five toes, hit in a little bit of sand, a little bit of dust, granite powder, and we cast that. And I got that one here. I'd like to bring it up to your museum one of these days, Cliff, and show you. I, I think it has dermal ridges, but you know, I'm not an expert at it. I, I'd like to show it to you. Well, if you do bring it up, give me a call beforehand and I will bring down some uh, special material that I have that'll allow me to make a copy within an hour. Um, normally, it takes about a week or so to make a latex mold and do the whole rigmarole of casting or copying a footprint. But I do have some other stuff. It's, it's pretty expensive, so I would only do it if you know if you brought something in like that. Right well, I'm planning to make a trip up there eventually anyway, so it will, we'll make it happen. So the size of the track, Robert, that kind of goes with the height of it. So what, what do we have on the size of that track, Robert? Thir 13 by 6, I believe. I think that's about right. So it was definitely 6 inches wide. Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. That morning, so now it's Sunday morning, right? So we drive back up to the location because I, you know, we, Mike and I and Rand, we all talk. We wanted to go back, and from what we saw the previous night, we wanted to definitely try to cast the one that that stepped off the road and down into the creek area. And then we wanted to go back and do the reenactment of what Mike saw on the trackway and in position, which we did. Uh, we stood back from where Mike was, shot the distance. We used Dan Butler as a stand-in, and we used a. Um, 
rangefinder. I think uh, what was the range, Mike? I think what we were at, yeah, eighty seven something around in there, I believe. If I look back on my notes, and we did that, found the trackway. We end up cat. Mike made a cast. We got a cast. Uh, we casted the one off the road, but. When we went up there and we looked at all this, I had left my dental stone down at, at camp. So I got in uh, the truck with uh, our new guy, David, and then I drove back down. I got my dental stone. So Cliff and Boaz, Dave and I are coming back up. We're in his Toyota Tacoma. We're just, we're going real slow. And the road starts kind of going up, if you remember the road. I don't know. I was, I think, from where the group was, I think I was still about 100 yards out. Yeah, maybe maybe a little better, maybe a little more, maybe two hundred. Yeah, I I look up to I just look up to my right. Remember, this is I think my time was right. It was between nine and ten in the morning. I look up to the right. I just happen to glance up, and I see between two trees. There's manzanita in front, two trees, and then there's off to the left. There's these huge boulders. I look up and I see this this hunched over. Sun glistening off the back with the, you can see ha- black hair that turns silver, and one goes right between the two trees behind the manzanita and behind the boulder. I tell Dave, stop, stop, stop. He stops. I go reverse, reverse. He throws the truck into reverse. By the time I believe it wasn't very big, but here it is. You're the, the head forward leaned over walking right to left i just caught her and i'm calling to her i'm thinking it's probably the same one that we always see in that area. what was seen from the, the night before maybe six foot three six foot four but definitely that forward uh the body hunched forward and uh they got the arm swinging going and it just it, it looked like it was gliding right between the two trees but what stands out in my mind guys is the sun glistening off the back and it, it, you could see the oils off the off the hair. That was cool. Now, now, Robert, I don't know if you want to go in this or not, but you're a trained observer. Like when you're throwing around these six three six four numbers, um, some people in the audience might be listening and saying, "Oh, well, how does he know that?" Well, I mean, are you willing to share how you know that? Yeah, I'll give my background. So, you know, I, I you know, here, here I'll give you a little bit of the background. I've been up in the Sierra Nevada mountains on the east and west side all my life. I've I've hunted at one time, which I don't do anymore. Um, I'm pretty good at distances. I, um, you know, I've backpacked, I, I'm experienced outdoorsman, but along with that is my profession, my training. I'm a law enforcement officer in Southern California. I've been, a been in law enforcement for 25 years. So, you know, along with that training and my experience and in investigations, you have, you, you get to know distance, height, weight, hair color, eye color, yeah, so I'm very well versed in all that. So you're a trained observer who's uh, who. Oh yeah, I'm a trained observer. That that goes with being a law enforcement officer. So yeah, I mean my my senses and and I tell people when we, and I laugh. It's 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 a it's a it's a it's a blessing and it's a curse. My my senses, my sixth sense, my radar is always on. I, I tell people I see I see the world or or in a very different way than the average person does. So my eyes are always trained and my head's always on the swivel. And yes, it goes back to being, I am a trained observer. Yeah. So, yeah. So when you say six, two, six, three, it's, this isn't some sort of a wide eyed arms flailing panicked observation that lasts a half second. This is coming from someone who is not only trained in observation, but has a tremendous number of field hours doing exactly what we're talking about right now. So yeah, maybe it is six, five, but you know what? Close enough and far closer than the vast majority, 98% of people would be able to estimate so i wanted to put that out for the audience so when you can when you hear these numbers you can take them pretty much to the bank but you know it, it, it gets better from here cliff you know I, I guess if we're just warming up we might as well get to the main course yeah stop with the hors d'oeuvres and tell us what's going on after this all occurred and was that morning um and mike you know help me along here we went back to obviously we went we back went back to camp and, and a lot of the the expedition has pretty much ended now and it's sunday you know everybody leaves um so we decided to stay an extra day i had to go robert i i, I had to i had to do that stupid job thing to pay to pay for my new therm here, here it is. Uh, yeah here, here's mike being a good boss he had to get back to you know civilization so myself, uh, a guy named Ed Sazinski uh, and um, Randy Edwards, our, our friend and, and the other assistant, and um, David stayed. 
uh, uh, good, our good squash friend, Ray Lopez say, uh, we all hung out for an extra day. And, uh, so that evening we went back to where the Sierra Gates footage and that trail that evening, but we, we went out, um, uh, very uh, more, it was early. It was dusk. It was still some light out. So our plan was that night, Hey, we're just going to go up there, go up to the Sierra gate there and we're going to go around it. And we're just going to work the trail on down a little bit, but we're not going to go all the way down to the bottom. Well, that doesn't always turn out that way. I was in front. I had uh, myself, Ed Szynski, and, and Ray Lopez with me. And so Randy and uh, David and Dan Butler was there. And they stayed up towards the, the, the gate area. So Ray, Ed, and I decided to work on down the trail, you know. And, and, and we're walking down there, and it is just real quiet, real still. And, and it's dusk, and the sun's starting to really get behind the mountain now. And we're just listening and I believe before we went down there, I did a call from where Thursday night sighting was and from where Saturday night's uh, uh, sighting and thermal picture was taken. I decide, because I can't help myself, I want to go all the way down to the bottom. And taking back to the previous on Saturday night, Ray Lopez had been walking that trail at night. And I guess the Forest Service or somebody left a perfectly good cut small stump on the side of the road. Ray had tripped over it the night before. So making light of that, as we get down to the bottom, and believe me, we still got enough daylight to see because the, the sun is now behind the, uh, the mountain to our, to our west, but we still have light. As I'm walking by the stump, and if we're being quiet, I do a hand motion. Almost looks like a rifle, holding a rifle, but I, I, in, in, in law enforcement, it's pointing out like a, like a suspect. We use our hands. But there's a stump, and so I pointed out to Ray, and I kind of giggle, and I'm looking back at Ray because he's about, I don't know, 10, 13 feet behind me. He starts chuckling, and soon as now, as I do that, I'm standing in front of an area, a clearing, Ed and I now, and we can see clearly about 100 yards down. And as I point at this stump, all hell breaks loose to our front right into the tree line. And it sounds about a good 100 yards away. And it's crash, boom, smack, crash. It starts going nuts. And we all, our attention goes there, and it's loud. It's something's coming. And it's picking something up, smashing it, breaking it. You know, we've all heard that. I hear this crunch, crunch, and I'm looking to the right. And as I just direct myself to the clearing 100 yards uh, to the south of me, Ed's already looking this way. And what, how Ed described it, it was a buffalo on two legs. We see one coming out of the woods into this clearing uh, from right to the left. What, how I describe it, huge on top, lengthy legs, huge arm swing. And what I got is the shoulder. Ed saw it longer than I did. He got about a second and a second and a half longer to see it. I just caught maybe one second of it. It looked at 100 yards. It looked everything above eight feet. And I just remember, and, and Ed said it too, it looked like buffalo on two legs. It was just massive on top. And I estimate 35, 40-some miles an hour running right to left. It was just a huge, huge blur, but he just caught enough of it. You knew it wasn't a bear, but it was definitely on two legs and the legs were long it was um it was leaning forward and i got that one left arm swing but it was more turning its back to us and what i remember is a shoulder now it wasn't at 100 yards because we did go back and range it uh, i believe we said it was like around 78 yards from us but it was just massive and it went to the right and it started turning to the right and what was really spooky about it is that it ran off. You heard some more footsteps and it stopped it back in the woods. At that time to our right, more crunching, banging, cracking started going off up trail. And I tell you, all of us, Ray, Ed and I, our mouths are just dropped. I got on the radio, radioed the guys up top. I was literally taken back by the sighting. Uh, I was out of breath too, you know, cause I was really surprised. And uh, so Randy and, and Dan and David, they came back down the trail. We told them what we saw, but 
I tell you, I, at two sightings in one day like that, from the nine o'clock in the morning to at dusk, it was just epic. Your your cup overfloweth. Yeah. Yeah, add that to the thermal sightings and the pictures. Um, yeah, like 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 Robert said, we'll never see, we'll never probably run into that again. I'll do that for another twenty years and never see another one now. Yeah, it seems like you've taken everybody else's good luck from us and wrapped it up into one trip and kept it all for yourself. I hate to see it that way or put it that way because I, you know, I, I, I'm hoping that we can go back or if other people go there, they get to experience and respect that, um, what they get to see. And, and, uh, you know, it's like when we we're standing there, Ed wanted to go down in there and I said, look, I said, been doing this a while. I go for that to run around there and just stop. And then we're getting commotion to the right. I go, we go down there. They're going to pinch us from both sides. Cause I've been in that situation down there before. Didn't see them, but we, we, we had a similar situation years prior to that. And I said, look, we're going to give them their distance. We're going to give them the, that respect because they're going to remember that, especially when we come back. Now, you went back, though, didn't you? So we went back with uh, basically the people that uh, Robert mentioned in the first trip, minus uh, Dan Butler and Randy. Yeah, Randy wasn't there either. Anyways, there's seven of us. Went back to the same place, and we're all packing our new therms now because uh, – we, after that last trip, you know, we, I, my wife gave me permission to spend the money. I, I'm, I'm sure I'll, I'll pay for it in spades for something she's going to buy, but I don't know what that's going to be. But <laughs> yeah, we'll see. I think I'll have to buy her a car now. But <laughs> anyway, we showed up with our new therms and we did pretty good again. It was a, it was a quick trip. It was a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, come home Monday. Same location. Uh, real quiet first night, um, had a little bit of, what did we have the second night, Robert? Not really much, right? The third night, which was Sunday, there was other campers in the area and they all, they all, they all bugged out on Sunday. And so we were there and then we started cruising around and, uh, you know, sneaking around through the, just in the campground area. I say campground, it's not really a campground. It's just a flat area where people park sometimes. And it's, it's a good, probably mile long by half a mile wide. And so there's uh, about four, four places where people camp. Anyway, we poked around and we heard some stuff, didn't we, Robert? Um, some, some movement, some noise, some actual full on crunch, crunch, you know, sounded like, you know, sounded like walking, but nothing definitive, you know, cause there's, there's other animals up there. Again, like Robert said, not everything's a squatch, but we poked around out in the woods for a while. Um, we had another group that went the other way and we we, we all came back and we met up. Oh, it was about 1130 at night at the camp and uh, had a fire. Um, it was one of those cheesy propane fires because you're not allowed to have fires in California. I don't, probably never again, which is probably okay. It's, uh, I can live with that. If we don't burn down the forest, I'm okay with that. But it was a propane fake fire. Sitting around the fire, um, kind of gathering up, having our uh, uh, post-squatching toddy, we like to call them. Those, that's always the best kind of squatching is when you're sitting in camp with a beer. But uh, we're, so we're sitting there and, and, and listening and I hear some movement. And uh, so I just step away from the fire and, and take my therm and I look at a hot spot. And really, I'm, I'm looking at this hot spot and I'm, I'm seeing some movement, you know, through my therm. And Robert comes over and I point it out to him and, and we're both looking and we see some movement. And, and we're pretty sure there's something going on, but we can't really tell through the therm. So I, I record that for oh, three or four minutes. Right, Robert? And, uh, and then, you know, we kind of walk around nothing, don't, don't think anything of it, go back, go back to the camp. And, uh, we eventually go to bed. And, uh, and I tell you, there's one thing about that night was something else. That night we had so much action as far as things in camp, banging on stuff, walking around, breaking branches all night long. And I usually sleep really good when I'm squatching because, you know, you're up so much. And when you do get to bed, you usually crash. But that darn thing, I, I kept awake. I had some opening my cooler and closing it like like you would if you were getting a soda or a beer out of your cooler. Clunk, clunk, it open, I hear the cooler open. You know, it does a squeak. Reep, thump, closes. Reep, thump, closes. And I'm in my truck and this is going on. And then you hear footprints and then... So anyway, several of the guys noticed that too. It got to the point where I, I, I just wanted them just go away and let me sleep. So anyway, we got a lot of recording on that. Ray had brought his recorder. We got a lot of video recording, uh, audio, when that going on. 
and uh, and uh, that night. And then when I got home, I looked at the video and I caught what I think are two separate squatches on one video looking at us. One far away and one, Robert, what, 20 yards from me? Something like that, 20, 30 yards and some trees peeking over us. And you can see on the video, it, it, there's, there's two trees and it makes like a V. Uh, I believe that was race truck. That was race truck, yeah. And race truck is Dodge, yeah. Yeah, it's a Dodge pickup. It's the full size. He was backed in, and there was two trees behind him, and these two trees made a V. Well, there was a dark, because Mike had his therm on the um, black hot pallet. So you can see this one thing pop in between the V. You know, it looked between the tree. It looked like and it would pop back out. But with that, we didn't see that. But what Mike was recording in front of him, and we estimated it was 77 yards to our east, uh, away from camp, clear view is there's a tree and the ground kind of goes down in an incline and there's a tree about 77 yards. Mike started having these, uh, the black hot or these spots come out be- behind a tree and then pop back in. And one was low and one was high. And that's what Mike was concentrating on. And in the video on the third, you can see Mike, cause I come off his right shoulder and he starts pointing and you can see his hand, what he's looking at and he's pointing down range and that's what we were looking at. Well, not until, what, weeks later when Ray was looking at the video, he told us about what's behind his truck and the trees that were, you know, 20, 30 yards away from where Mike and I were standing. It was pretty cool. Plus, we had a, a gentleman that evening. He liked to, he liked to sleep outside, he sleeps up under, under Easy Up. He has a bed. And he says, that in, and coupled with what Mike was hearing and him sleeping outside is that, and his name is Tim, there was so much action Tim got so nervous and was walking around him. He actually had to get up and go sleep in his truck because it got that bad. It was it was annoying. It was like it was like a couple five year olds just just bugging you when you're trying to sleep. That's what that was going through my mind. It was annoying as hell. Wow, man! So well, that that is a tremendous tale. So, is there a next chapter that you're looking forward to? Is there something that comes next in this whole thing? I, I tell you, we seem to have action. I want to try. That area, um, again, obviously early in the year, um, uh, right, right after it opens, it seemed to be our best, but, but I also would like to get up there after hunting season. I don't think it's a real good idea to be poking around in those woods during hunting season at night with some of the people we have around. So I like to stay out of there till after rifle season, but I wouldn't mind heading back up. Well, man, it is a tremendous achievement on everybody's part here. So congratulations, honestly. Um, I've been chasing these things for 26 years and have never even gotten close to what you achieved in that one weekend. So uh, congratulations, man. Um, you're, you're, and also, just listening to the background and the, um, the steps and the procedures you've got, you guys have gone through is kind of priming this place for such an encounter. And then what you did there, not only the recreations, but the range finders that you brought out and wrote down the data, the footprints you guys cast, the fact that you are sharing your data with other researchers to see what other information can be squeezed out of it. Um, just my hat is off to both you guys. You are exemplary in the community. And I want to thank you for that. You're like, a, a you know, I, I don't want to gush too much on you guys, but um, you're, you're a standard that many people should hold themselves to. So congratulations on that. And I'm, I'm, I'm proud to have you on the show today. I think Bo- Bobo and I are both proud of this, man. This is amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah, you guys killed a good job. Wow, man. Thank you. That is coming from you guys. That's huge. That means a lot. Thank you very much. It really does. No, you got to set your sights higher. It's just Cliff. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, you know, what we try to do is, you know, like, like you said, you know, you guys have been doing this a long time and, um, you know, ever since the show and everything and, and me talking with Matt, you know, and I think, and, and I tell people, you know, and this is what I believe there's, there's two you know, kinds of researchers or investigators. There's the art, what I call the armchair researchers or the people that actually go out in the field and do the work. And, you know, that's what we, we try to be known for. And, you know, you know, we take it very personally, uh, Mike and I to put on a good expedition. Yeah. It's a matter of going out and sharing what you love with other people. You know, it always comes down to sharing love with others at the end of the day. So, and I'm glad you guys did that. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you for the time. And, and thank you for letting us, uh, you know, share, share our experiences. But I hate to tell you guys, you're never going to get that opportunity again that you got the proper equipment. Yeah, you're right. You're right. We'll never see anything else. It'll be dumb. <laughs> All right, guys, you take it easy. Thank you so much. So, Bobo, what do you think, man? 
there's no doubt about what they got in my mind. I mean, hearing them tell their story just solidifies that that's not people they filmed. Shoot, that was a great lineup, man. Thanks. Oh, my pleasure. I'll see who else we can get. Or if you have somebody better, I'd love you to top me. I'm going to try. It's a challenge. <laughs> All right, Bubs, bring us home. Okay. All right, everyone. Well, that's another episode of Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. Thanks to Robert and Mike with the Sierra's footage coming out this evening and joining us. So if you like what you heard, hit share, hit like, spread the word. And until next week, keep it squatchy. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Bigfoot and Beyond. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes. Subscribe to Bigfoot and Beyond wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Bigfoot and Beyond Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Bigfoot and Beyond, that's an N in the middle, and tweet us your thoughts and questions with the hashtag Bigfoot and Beyond. 